Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode 193 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is Halloween, October 31st, 2011. Hope you're having a great beginning part of the week and hope you have a great Halloween tonight. Get out there and be safe. This week on the podcast, we of course got lots to talk about. We got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on in the show. We have Coach Harvey Hyde coming up in the first segment. We have lots of your questions yet again after USC's Classic, heartbreaking loss uh, on Saturday to Stanford where they played their hearts out, and we got a lot to get to on that. If you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That is our email address, or give us a call, 206-888-6755. I think we got about eight voicemail questions this week. Try to keep them short if you can. If you keep them 30 seconds or so, that would be wonderful. Uh, once they start getting uh, you know over a minute, it's tough to put them on. Uh, so again, 206-888-6755. And as always, we are joined, although last two weeks we didn't have them, but Coach Harvey Hyde back from Secret Assignment. How you doing, Coach? Hey, Ryan, I'm doing fine. It's a beautiful day. We're getting into a game on a Friday night. I can't remember the last time the Trojans played on a Friday night, but I think the sooner you play this game, the better it is as far as for the Trojans. They go to Colorado. They make a business trip up there. They've got to take care of business up there against the Buffaloes. They come home, they have a nice long weekend, and they get ready for the Huskies. And uh, I think the the sourness of that loss, yep, there was a lot of excitement during that game, and the program accomplished a lot during that game. It's good to come back, get your next win. You have to wait normally in a week until you can erase all those memories. And they get ready for the finish of the season, which could be a great run. It certainly could be, Coach. And uh, before we get into all that, I wanted to thank our sponsor for the segment, Southern California Tickets. Uh, go to sctickets.com. If you need tickets for anything, it was almost a sold-out game there at Stanford. or It looked it was pretty full. I don't know if it was actually sold out, but 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Uh, the Coliseum was rocking, so it would be good to get you out there. If you need tickets to, to USC games, you can go to sctickets.com. And check that out. I know, Coach, you like to go there, and it was a it was a rocking atmosphere in the Coliseum. Absolutely fantastic! Ninety three thousand six hundred and some largest crowd since two thousand and nine. Uh, on the pregame show, I told everybody, stay, don't leave. It will make a difference at the end of the game. The noise and so on, and it almost did. It almost did. Should have been one second left in that game. We can talk about that if you want. Otherwise, let's get to these questions. And I want to thank everybody for calling in and ask us, uh, the, asking us these questions. And I also want to apologize for not being with you the past couple of weeks. I've been on the road. So uh, let's try to make it up today, Ryan. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I apologize, too. We just didn't, The schedules didn't work out. Um, I want to, you know, there was been, if you read the uscfootball.com message boards, there's been some negativity, but there's been a lot of positive sentiment. We got a few kind of statement questions sent in. I want to read all three of them. And then there's a, a voicemail question from Saudi Arabia I want to play. So uh, we'll, we'll start with those and then kind of get your thoughts on it, Coach. Um, Tony Gomez and Downey, he just wants to thank us for the job we do. 
He said Saturday's game is one of the best games he's ever been a part of as a fan. It was heartbreaking to lose, but it felt like old school USC football. He believes Kiffin is doing a wonderful job in this team in the end. Uh, Section 15 gave the team a round of applause for playing such a great game. The Coliseum was electric. He heard very few complaints and excuses from fans at the end of the game. It showed that there's a lot of heart and toughness on this team. Uh, the day after, he was at a rock and roll marathon in downtown L.A. and saw many USC fans wearing Cardinal and Gold proudly, including myself. I think the fans are starting to come around. I'm excited to see how good this young team will be for the next few years. And that was Tony. Uh, Fast Eddie was saying he's proud of the way USC came out and played on Saturday. Regardless of the outcome, he's glad Kyle Prater finally got on the field. We can talk about that in a little bit. Uh, he did make a catch for a first down. Um, and... Yeah, so he was talking. He's very being very positive as well. And the last one was Gil Martin. Uh, he wants to thank us for our professionalism and passion of what we do, and wanted to share a couple of thoughts that he was privileged uh, to be experienced two well-prepared heavyweights trading blows. A reminder of an Ali Frazier heavyweight fight. Um, he says it's a game of inches, and Marquise Lee's foot was just out of bounds, or Trey Madden's hand, which was just an inch away from knocking down that touchdown pass. Um, so, I mean, there was a lot of positive sentiment coach, uh, coming from people that, I mean, they weren't even questions. They were just kind of people supporting this team. And then I want to play this, this voicemail question for you as well. All right. Hello guys. This is Antonio from Saudi Arabia. I haven't called in a while. I want to say, uh, congratulations on doing such a great job. You, Ryan, Gerard, Dan, and, uh, coach Harvey. Uh, I just want to say, uh, I want to just say a statement. I just, I'm really proud of uh, our kids, man. They show so much heart, so much determination. And to me, I give a lot of credit for preparation for Lane through all this, the sanction, is, sanction issues and all, this, and all the distractions that's happened. I really give a lot of credit to the coaching staff. And those kids, to me, they can play with anybody in the country, as young as they are. And uh, I'm extremely proud to be a Trojan and proud of them. Um, that's what I want to say as a statement. The question I want to ask Coach Harvey or Gerard or even you, Ryan, is why, uh, why haven't they thought about using Soma Vanuku as a middle linebacker to show up the, uh, the linebacking problems? They can actually have him in the middle. He played middle linebacker in high school. He's fast. He has good, he has good tackling ability. They have him, Lamar, uh, I guess you could say uh, Hayes Pollard and Deion Bailey, the four linebackers. And... Uh, he can probably do an old Merrick from Stanford, you know, go both ways. Uh, that's pretty much it I want to ask. Let me address this to anybody. Thank you, guys. Keep up the good work. Go Trojans. And I think Oregon has something to worry about now. Bye. Well, thank you for that question. I tell you, just bring the oil prices down, buddy. I tell you, we could, we could use a break if you're in the oil business, but I'm just <laughs> kidding you. Thank you very much for checking with us. Hey, well, who did he want to put at middle linebacker? Who was that? Uh, Soma Vanuku. Uh, so we haven't really seen him much Oh, right, yet. right. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen him at linebacker, so I can't really give you an honest opinion. He has played that in high school and really did, uh, really uh, played well. In fact, I think that's where they really discovered him. Uh, as a linebacker, I think Norm Chow uh, liked him uh, when he was recruited Hawaii, recruiting Hawaii, and he's a tough kid, runs well. He's not getting any playing time at all. I, I would suggest that. I really would. But currently, right now, they're using Cummings. They're losing. Uh, they're using Cummings and uh, uh, Ellison, and, and really, he's not getting on the field. I don't think it would hurt at all. I think that's a heck of an idea. At least give him a chance to see just how he can perform. 
And uh, and uh, that's a that's a good point. I really think that's a good point. Obviously, they've thought of it. I think, and they they're currently keeping him at the fullback position. But that's a a heck of a question. And I agree with you as far as the team. I want to go a little longer on this question. I think the team has showed a lot of class and character going into Notre Dame and uh, beating Notre Dame. They're coming home and taking on. What I uh, what I thought, and I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of people will argue with me, I think the team that has the best chance of beating LSU and Alabama and that's Stanford. For what they do, they're very difficult to stop. They're very physical. They pound you. They have the best quarterback in America. They have huge receivers. They have a power game. They have big receiver game. They have a spread formation, and this quarterback can really run, and it's very difficult to put the heat on him because he finds a way to get out of trouble and he makes positive yards when it should be a negative yard situation. So, uh, you know, I, and I'm going to tell you this. If they get to the national championship game, I'm going to take Stanford to beat Alabama or LSU. Why? Because those teams aren't that uh, powerful offensively. I think they can be stopped. I think SC more, has more offense than Alabama and LSU, and I think that they have not seen, they have not seen a team like Stanford, who pounds you, pounds you, pounds you with its physical ability and their receivers, 6'6", 6'6", 6'8", when they go to that formation, the poor defensive backs can't even see what's going on through these receivers, and they just outman you as they did three times in the football game for the two-point conversion when Luck, being the type of quarterback he is, noticed there was a young rookie, I'm not going to mention his name, at a linebacker position, and just lost the the receiver, the one touchdown pass. He noticed immediately who was covering uh, the big receiver, and he threw the ball out there for a touchdown and one play earlier in the game. So I think the biggest thing that hurt USC during that football game was the loss of Bailey. Deion Bailey was just swarming the field, 13 tackles, covering people. He's a key player on the defensive side of the football, and I'm not going to talk about the penalty now. Maybe that will come up later. But I think they became a football team with their performance. I think they came together. And I think uh, Coach Kiffin needs to be complimented because everybody calls him Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin. Let's give him a little respect now after these two last games and call him Coach Kiffin, as we called Coach McKay, Coach Robinson. You didn't walk up and say, hey, John McKay, what's going on? <laughs> said, hey, hey, Coach McKay, what's going on? He's 36 years old, so a lot of people think that that – is their son, but he's got a huge responsibility. He's come at a very difficult time, and you've heard me be critical. You've heard me be critical, but at this time, I think it's a positive moment for USC football. Okay. Uh, well, let's start to get to some of these questions then, Coach. I just, the overall sentiment, there was so much positive uh, vibe there. I wanted to read a few of those statements that people had sent in, and of course, we got a question from Saudi Arabia. I think he's serving overseas, Coach, uh, with the military. Is that what he's doing? That's, I, I believe so, yeah. God bless you, man. Yes. I'm going to tell you, you're my type of guy. I tell you, for me to be able to talk like this is because of people like you that defend our country. Well, thank you very much for that. Yeah, we really appreciate what you do out there. And uh, Well, uh, Fast Eddie was one of the, the – he had one of the statements, but he also had a question, too. Uh, why won't uh, Coach Kiffin give Curtis McNeil a start? Uh, I'm not sure why he keeps giving them to Tyler. Moody's proven to be our number one back. He runs harder than any back we have, regardless in his size, uh, you know, for his size. And, you know, he never backs down to anybody. He loves his style. He knows he's going to bounce back 
from that fumble. And uh, Lane Kiffin was on a conference call yesterday, Coach, and said he talked to Curtis McNeil right afterward. He didn't blame Curtis for the pitch because the pitch wasn't all that good. And then obviously, you know, he carried the ball so many times. It was just an unfortunate fumble at the end. I don't think Lane Kiffin's holding that against him. Uh, and, you know, Mark Tyler went out on the very first play of the game, and he pretty much stuck with McNeil the whole time. So I don't, I don't think – I don't think fans should worry. If you like Curtis McNeil, and as long as he's healthy, I think you're going to see a healthy dose of him. Oh, I agree 100%. It was unfortunate for Tyler to get injured like that because they could have had the one-two punch as Stanford had and so on, rotating their backs. Hey, but Curtis McNeil is all hard. He's my man. He runs north and south. You've heard me talk about him all the time. I talked about him two or three weeks ago on our Trojan Brunch show on ESPN. I don't know how many people listen to that show or not. I said... This is my man. I mean, I even think I told uh, Palomala that, or I told Coach Kiffin that when he was on the show, and they they agreed. They thought he was really tough, and he can block. If you watch him, he's a great blocker, too. He's a competitor, not that other players aren't competing, but he'll get you that yard, that extra effort. He'll spin away. Sometimes he gets lost behind the offensive line, and they don't know where he is. And, And I'll tell you, I think he surprised everybody, too, with his speed at the Coliseum. When he ran down that sideline, that defensive back from Stafford took the wrong angle, and old Curtis just ran away from him. <laughs> yeah. Remember, I called him the scooter. But there's a lot of people out there that remember Dick Bass. It was war number 22, and he reminds me so much of him, and I think he just does a great job. No one will hold that fumble against him. No one. It was an unfortunate thing that happened. The guy that punched the ball out was laying on the ground, with a player on top of him, he saw him coming. He reached up with his right arm, punched the ball up, and the ball became loose. So, uh, hey, without him, there wouldn't have been a, a close game. So, not a close game. It wouldn't have been what it came down to be. So, I, I'm going to tell you, he, he's a true winner. And why he doesn't start, I don't know. Uh, I, but who cares as long as he's playing like he's playing? Agree with you 100%, Coach. And uh, he took it pretty hard. I mean, he was crying in the locker room and, Lake Kiffin had to console him a little bit. I think he's going to bounce back. He'll be okay. These guys, these guys take it pretty seriously. You know, it's tough playing their hearts out in a game like that. Um, all right, well, let's get to some more questions. Here's another voicemail question for you, Coach. Having to deal with that that Robert Woods play at the at the very end of the uh, of regulation. This uh, this is Dan Silva. My question is: Did Matt or Lane ever tell Woods to go down? Towards the end of the game, when he cut the ball. That's well, it. thank you. Fight on. And thank you for asking that question. I think that's a very good question. He probably didn't. I mean, I'm just saying probably didn't because with the heat of the game and everything going on and the confusion and excitement and so on, watching the clock tick down, he's trying to figure out how many timeouts he has, what plays should call, and. And all of that, he just hopes to play successful. Remember, Woods is a young player. Maybe if he was a senior or someone that's been through it, uh, you know, it could happen. Maybe the receiver coach could have maybe indicated to him, go down, go down, go down. And maybe the play could have been a quicker type of play that didn't take so long to develop. You know, there's a lot of ways we can second-guess this. Uh, But, you know, he did have the first down. He could have gone down. There could have been a couple of, uh, seconds left on the class, clock. Uh, I think personally that if Coach Kiffin did what he said he did, and I don't know what he did because the official hasn't commented that he did say it. He think he, Coach Kiffin says he said it. 
yes, I know as soon as the knee hits the ground, we'll, and if there's a second left in the game, you have another play, then he just didn't argue the point with the other officials. I thought at the end of the game with the play being that close and that uh, big of a play, not knowing if the time ran out and so on, that the officials should have huddled. The referee said the game is over before they even even got together and discussed it or watched the replay. And and I think that they should have huddled, discussed it. That umpire or field judge, it wasn't the umpire, I think it was the field judge or the headlinesman, should have come in and said, Coach Kiffin said this. Let's see if there was a second left on the clock. There was. They should receive another play. But time was called out before that, uh, the play before, or before the play got started, and they should have had one more play. And I really believe Atari would have made that field goal. I'm just going to tell you, with the adrenaline going at that time, he was fired up. He didn't know, even knew he had an ankle to worry about his ankle, that he would have kicked that ball through. And what a fitting way of winning. But that wasn't what happened. And uh, I think there was a lot of calls, a lot of calls during that game that were questionable regarding the officials on both sides of the football, especially the pass interference calls that weren't made. And we can get to that. I'm sure someone called. But I hope I answered that question for you. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, and just so you know, Matt Barkley in the press conference afterwards said uh, that play normally isn't meant to go to the sideline like that. He's supposed to kind of get downfield. It just kind of happened that he was running a long way sideways. So they didn't call a play to, to, to be – you know, to take a long time, it just kind of happened you know, the, the course of the play. And and it's a good segue, Coach, because we do have a question about the officials right now. Here we go. Great game against Stanford. A uh, quick question for Coach Harvey Hyde. Uh, I just wanted to know, I thought they, um, you know, did something about the Pac-10 officiating as far as trying to make it better. And I really haven't seen no improvement this year, especially uh, looking at the game tonight. The Pac-10, without a doubt, has the worst officials in any sport that I've ever witnessed, and something really needs to be done about it. Fight on. Well, thank you very much for your question. You know, I made quite a quite a do about this uh, yesterday on the Trojan Brunch Show, and I'll, I'll sort of keep it shorter now. I first of all think the officiating was not up to what should be as far as the Pac-12 level. They've made a lot of changes. They let, I think, 16 officials go last year, and now they have a new uh, coordinator of officials, Tony Carrente. And uh, I'm not quite sure if it's better myself. I want to, I want to uh, say that. It's very hard because we probably have a lot of officials that are listening. I had an official call yesterday and asked me, did you notice the graft held on that one play? I said, absolutely. He absolutely did hold, and that should have been a holding play on that pass rush play. Big play, no hold called, should have called it. But when you watch the game and you see the pass interference calls that are so obvious that 90,000 people saw it and the people that are supposed to call the play don't call it, and the other pass interference play earlier in the game on Woods when he was held, I mean, there's two pass interference plays that make a difference in the game in the red zone. I mean, huge, huge plays. And uh, I'm not quite sure about the T.J. McDonald play. Uh, we can discuss that. Uh, I know what the intent of the rule is and so on. Could that have been avoided? Did that play need to be uh, called? That penalty need to be called? I don't know. I would say if I go along with the officials, if they're consistent on that, okay. But that taunting call, please, the taunting call on, 
Roby, wasn't it Roby on the on the pass on the interception? It was uh, Marquis Lee. It was Marquis Lee on Lee, his touchdown. Lee, yeah, okay, yeah, the taunting play. Please, you can't have any excitement yet in this game still anymore. Hey, I didn't like that rule when they put it in. I know what it's used for, but it's a judgment call by an official. A judgment call. I mean, and if someone thinks that he taunted him. Uh, and a touchdown like that that means so much in the game, please. So SC kicks off in the 15-yard line. Stanford gets the ball on the 40. I mean, those type of calls that, are very questionable. Coach, that call affected three drives because Stanford got good field position, pinned back USC, and then gave Stanford good field position again in the ensuing punt. So that, that call affected three different drives in the game. No, I agree 100%. And, and I'll tell you what, as a coach – uh, we were able always to evaluate the players the next day. We got a card. We filled the card out, the strengths and weaknesses of the crew, and we would send them in to the commissioner. And the commissioner would look at the calls we're talking about. And I really feel that the commissioner uh, or coordinator, excuse me, will look at those plays and agree with me and agree with what we're talking about because they were so obvious. And why do you make a cont call? in a game like that with excitement and so on. The play was over. It was in the end zone. He turned around his back and sort of held the ball out. He wasn't taunting the guy. Uh, not with the way Tawny used to be, okay? Please. Okay, I think we answered that question. I agree with you 100%. Maybe the commission will write me a letter of reprimand. But that's the way it is. <laughs> we'll see if Coach Kiffin gets a, a, a letter of reprimand as well when he came out. And said some of the things he did, but I, you know, I agree with him. He he felt like he was lied to, and it sounds like he was. Um, now, now, all the, not there's still some naysayers. I know, Coach, that uh, Lane Kiffin, Coach Kiffin, has his detractors, and I think he's won a lot of people over the last two weeks. So even going one and one, um, he's won some people over. He knows everyone knows he can recruit, and he showed he could coach at Notre Dame. But there's still people that aren't really happy with some of the stuff that's going on. And Coach G is our buddy that likes to write in. He's like, I realize there's a lot of second-guessing, but thinking as a coach, the game was lost on 3rd and 15 when USC dropped back into their soft zone instead of going all out to blitz. So you notice Stanford constantly pressured USC, played man most of the time, including the goal line. Uh, what would you have done in the same situation, Coach? The, the goal defense is weak up the middle. Why don't we utilize a seven-man front? Uh, so Coach G has a few a few issues there, but um, maybe we'll get some comments for him. Well, uh, I don't know why they didn't blitz or if they should have blitzed or not. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that the, you know, Tampa Bay, the Tampa two defense does, it does open up the middle of the field because the middle linebacker has deep metal zone on that. And when he drops out, it, it does leave a big hole in the tackles that they don't contain or spy the quarterback or whatever. In that defense, as you notice, Luck ran at least, I think, three times for first down right back up the middle when he was pressured by the defensive ends. The defensive ends and defensive line, they're my defensive players of the week. I think they played out of their mind. I think that's the type of, uh, of defensive line play the past two weeks that everyone expected from the beginning of the season. And, uh, you know, that is a second guess on that. I, I really like it when they do blitz. I really think they put a lot of heat on them. I don't like them to show it, though, especially against someone like uh, Luck, because Luck can read the defenses. You have to mix, move it back and forth. You have to show blitz, and then up to the last seconds before he audibilizes, then get out of whatever you show him. 
so that you're confusing him as far as taking away his audible ability. Because he can call the whole game from the line of scrimmage just like Peyton Manning does. So you've got to change around. You've got to show blitz and not blitz. You've got to show stun and don't stun. You've got to not show it and stun. So you've got to mix it up a little bit. And when they did do uh, uh, a lot of uh, stunning and blitzing and so on, they really threw his rhythm off. He overthrew several passes and underthrew several passes. So I have to agree with you as far as the point of trying to throw a guy's rhythm off like luck. And they did that at times. I don't know what happened or what specific play. I can't remember what you're talking about, but it is, uh, you know, it's a it's a chance you take. But you know, sometimes you have to uh, play very aggressive and, and take chances. You know, this was a ten six game at halftime, and I do think you have to give the defense a lot of credit uh, for what happened. I think they continued to do what they were doing last week at Notre Dame. Um, I mean, to to be able, to really get to Andrew Luck, he's been sacked twice all year. And, you know, the USC defense got to him twice and pressured him and made him uncomfortable in a lot of other situations. He's the best quarterback in the country, and it's not close. And he's going to make his plays. And US, the USC defense got after him, and they got a pick six on him. He doesn't, that's not the kind of stuff that Andrew Luck does. I mean, he doesn't get sacked twice in a game. He doesn't throw pick sixes. And USC was able to do that. Now, yeah, that by the end of the game, it was tough. I mean, he's still making his plays, and... Um, I think the USC offense almost needed to kind of you know outscore him a couple of times when they got stopped. You got the feeling that it was going to be really tough to stop Luck. And uh, you know they have a huge offensive line. They got all the tight ends, like you said. It was tough at the end of the game. But I don't think you can look at the, this and say I've had people tweet me saying, "Oh, USC gave up 56 points. The defense is terrible." I didn't see it that way. I mean, I think they played the best quarterback in the country really, really tough. This 10 games in a row. Stanford put up 20, beat teams by more than 25 points, 10 games in a row, and they went to triple overtime with the USC. So I think you can't get all down on, on Monty Kiffin or Lane Kiffin or anything for this game. No, I agree with you. You know, it was a great football game. It could have been, you always couldn't go back and look at certain plays and so on. And that's, that's what happens when you lose a game like this. Uh, I used to go back and watch the film over and over and over and list it. If this happened and that happened and that call was made and blah, 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 we'd have won by 20, you know. But you, you can't do that. I do think they played a great game as far as penalties. They had a couple of that one key penalty, but I thought they played good good offense. It's great to see not the offensive line jumping off sides, illegal procedures, the substitution is, is clean, does not delay of game calls. I mean, you know, that's a lot of improvement because in the past couple of years, that's all you saw. I mean, people, you know, delay of games after timeout. So you see a, a lot of, of improvement with the team and the play and, and how hard they play. And I love how hard they play. And I think that's something that when you grow up and, and you get bigger and stronger and so on, you remember these moments and you come together with these moments. You know, you celebrate together and you cry together. And you remember the moments that you don't want again. Right now they don't want the moment of ASU and they don't want the moment of Stanford ever to be around them again. And they'll talk about this. You remember, you remember your losses more than you ever remember your wins. And I can tell you about every loss I had and how we lost it, but I can't, I forgot about a lot of the wins because you just have to learn to expect to win. And right now, Stanford's the type of program that expects to win. 
They came to the Coliseum with the idea we're going to win. No matter how much time's left on the game or whatever the situation is, we're going to win. So uh, SC got close. Close is not good enough. I don't think that they lost. I think they just finished second. All right. And then we got another voicemail question. We were talking about those big tight ends. Uh, Rich has a suggestion. Yeah, this is Rich. Uh, I have a question. I was just wondering with the, the way Stanford runs its tight ends uh, in their formations, and the three of them, I know one got hurt, were all pretty outstanding. I'm just wondering if SC might be thinking of doing the same thing with the uh, three tight ends that they have. I know one of them is out injured, but with both Xavier Grimble and Randall Telfer uh, and Ellison, who are all athletic, I'm just curious what uh, maybe you or the coach thinks about if that would be something they might run this season a few games or maybe think about it for next year because uh, Telfer and Grimble are very athletic and uh, maybe get into more into the uh, scheme of things with uh, the offense. Uh, love what you guys are doing. Appreciate it very much. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, I think they do have talented tight ends. I really do. And I think that early in the season you heard me talk continuously about getting your tight ends involved more in the game. And you, uh, if you've been watching in the last two weeks, they have. They've got to get the ball to the tight ends, but that certainly does loosen up the coverages for Woods and Lee and the rest of the split receivers. Should they have that type of formation? I certainly think they should. You don't want to ever take Woods out of the game, but when you put a big guy on the defensive back, he grimbles about 6'4", 6'5", at least 6'5", Ellison 6'4", 6'5", Telfer 6'4", 6'5". Whenever you take that type of kid and you split him out and the defensive back is covering you, especially if it's man or zone, and you come out at them and you stock block them, they can't even see the play, what's materializing behind them. Then you come out and you run routes on them and you, you throw the higher pass. It's so difficult to defend. You, and you get a lot of pass interferences out of it. If you watch Madden cover their tight end there that on that touchdown pass, he didn't have a chance. The kid just, you know, turned around and found the football, and it's very hard to defend him. So, yes, uh, I think that could be part of the offense. that They could uh, add to it the three tight ends at one time into the game, and you can. And these tight ends can run too, so you can run them down the field and run crossing routes with them, do a lot of different things, drags, posts, corners, as they did. They hit Telfer earlier in the year down the middle for a big gain and a touchdown. Uh, I, I really do think that can happen. Will it happen? I'm not sure. Should it happen? It possibly should be in there, but people have to defend about it, defend it, and game plan it. And it takes more time away from their regular preparation. All right, Coach. Well, we really appreciate you uh, coming on and sharing your insights. And I, I do apologize we didn't have you on for a couple of weeks. It would have been great to get all your Notre Dame uh, <laughs> insights there. But it does look like you know the team's six and two. They're still ranked number twenty-one. Uh, in the AP polls, they only dropped one spot, I think, just because of, of how well they played. And should be an easy one against Colorado on Friday. So we'll be back again on next Monday hearing what you got to say about that game. And uh, hopefully USC will be 7-2 and two by then. Well, let me just say this. The way SC played the last two weeks, I'd like to know who the 21 teams are, 20 teams above them, that think they think they can beat them, okay? If they play their game with the athletes they have. They have demonstrated over the past two weeks the type of team speed they have and, and the way they can play and, and, and play well. So uh, I am giving them a lot of credit on the way this team has grown up and played the past two weeks, and I think everybody does too. 
Agree 100%, Coach. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on, and we appreciate you being on the show as always, and thanks for all the questions that were sent in. We're going to talk to uh, Dan Weber coming up in about 30 seconds. He's going to share his thoughts on what happened at USC Stanford. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber on the line with us right now. He was up in the press box for the classic against Stanford, uh, 56 to 48 triple overtime game. Dan, how you doing? What's going on? Doing great. Actually, uh, as it turned out, uh, it seemed like we were down on the field. We were, we were allowed to come down the last five minutes, and uh, when you got a triple overtime game like that, uh, you seem it feels like you were on the field for as long as uh, as you were in the press box. That was uh, kind of amazing. The uh, game we left at five minutes to go, and the game that it turned out to be were uh, it's like a second game. I mean, you, you saw first game in the press box, and you went down on the field, and they played the second game. It was a doubleheader. Yeah, I'm still going through some of the footage I shot the whole game, and I ran out of two batteries <laughs> and uh, filled up a tape. Well, it was pretty I'll tell good. you, I watched the two-hour replay, uh, and uh, it, it hit me. They had about five plays from the first half, and then it was over. You know, they said, well, we have to you know, continue the game later on, you know, da, 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 on that, uh, uh, I guess, ESPNU channel, and you realize basically they had an entire game from halftime on. They almost hit – I think they showed like – Two USC plays in the first half, both uh, field goals. That was, that was basically it. Yeah, it was to go from a 10-6 game at halftime to a 56-48 to game, I'm not, I mean, I don't know if that's ever, something on that scale has ever happened before in college football. I mean, that's crazy. Well, and then, you know, you, you get two records for USC and scoring. I mean, it's the most points ever scored in one game, a uh, USC football game, and the most points ever scored against USC. So, uh uh, you know, it, it's obvious it's a short field. And a, uh, you know, the scoring gets all thrown out of kilter. But uh, uh, one would think that from now on, one of the rules of college football coaching would be if the team you're playing is exactly 100% in the red zone and has never been stopped, you probably don't want to get into a really long uh, shootout with them in overtime. Just a thought. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I might have been thinking because the USC coaches were like, you know, you can't be perfect against air. You know, if you're doing that on air and you're not, there isn't even another team there, you'll probably screw it up somewhere. And, of course, Stanford, I guess, it, coming into the game was 38 out of 38 once they got to the red zone. One would think uh, you wouldn't probably want to prolong a, a shootout with those guys, but oh well. No, I mean, that's a really good point that they're – have a perfect record in the red zone. Not not exactly the same thing for USC, but uh, we had a lot of uh, kind of statements that were sent in, Dan, and we talked to okay. Coach Harvey Hyde about about the a lot of positives. <laughs> People feeling like 
this was a positive, you know, move for the team. I think there there's more people kind of jumping on the the Coach Kiffin bandwagon, and you know, there's definitely he still has his detractors for sure. But it seems like the people are positive that they played a team as good as Stanford as hard as they did, and I think they're they're not as upset with the loss in general. And maybe you've seen this on the Peristyle too, as some of the other close losses or heartbreaking losses like this. I mean, I think they like the direction the program's going in. Well, and I think that was the difficult thing about reacting to the game because you do want to be positive about you know young team playing their tails off and not giving in, not giving an inch and. All the, you know, and the crowd, oh, my goodness. You know, who thought, who really thought you'd see a crowd like that uh, back at, at the Coliseum, which says there's a, a real hunger out there for USC football, you know, to get back to the top. I mean, that, the crowd performed, I think, as well as, as the team. I think the thing you want to do is say still, this is USC football, and USC football is never satisfied with a loss of any kind. That that you can't be USC football and be satisfied with a loss. But I do think what you have to do with a loss like that is make it a positive thing. That the things that you look at and say, okay, I didn't like this, I didn't like that. You learn from them and you improve from them immediately, and you use them as building blocks. For example, the last time they lost a triple overtime was that horrible. Uh, game uh, because the Cal crowd was so, you know, and Matt Leiner, you know, one of his, I guess, third or fourth starts, and uh, they end up losing 34-31. And I remember interviewing him on the steps outside the stadium because, of course, you can't get into any, you know, locker facility or, you know, there's a one-bulb locker room, uh, you know, under the stadium. And we're interviewing Matt and Pete in the middle of the, of the crowd as they're leaving the stadium and they're throwing things and, you know, cussing you out. It was just as ugly a scene as I can ever remember. And USC used that, didn't lose for another, what, 34 straight games? They built on that triple overtime loss that they knew they should have never lost, and it ended on a fumble at the one-yard line in overtime when they lost the ball uh, and with Herschel Dennis going in. And uh, so – I think there are some similarities here, and this is the kind of game uh, you use to build from. Uh, you use all the positives and the negatives, and you put them together and say, okay, we can, we can do this. And uh, it, it certainly looks like this team can. And maybe, uh, you know, if, if Matt Barkley comes back next year, uh, this team's who, – who's to say this team wouldn't be ranked number one going into the season? I mean, they're that close. Yeah, they, they definitely look close. Uh, we'll see how they finish off. There's some certainly some winnable games left on the schedule. Um, okay, so we had some questions about the officiating with with uh, Coach Harvey Hyde, and we got a bunch more. <laughs> we got a bunch more about them too. I want to play. I'll play the voicemail question first, and then we can get into some of the other ones as well. Hey guys, this is Esteban Lopez uh, calling all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Huge Trojans fan. Grew up in Southern California. Love the podcast listen every week um just like lane kiffin and the entire trojan nation trojan nation just so disappointed with the officiating this past saturday honestly at one point thought i mean were the refs uh asked and to fix the game for stanford's stanford win just because the trojans are not bowl eligible and a trojan win really would uh would not do much for the bcs it honestly felt that way i felt like the game was won three times for the trojans but every time they just would let Stanford back, uh, the officials would let Stanford back in it. Um, it seemed that, that really 
the media and the officials wanted Stanford to win the game and, and, and you know, wouldn't stop until until they, they won the game. And, um, yeah, I just wanted your thoughts on that. Um, and thank you guys again for, for the excellent podcast and fight on. Bye-bye. Okay. Esteban, uh, here's the thing I think happened and I actually I was the pool reporter because uh, in the press conference I said you know we need to talk to the officials after we heard what Lane said we needed to talk to the officials so uh, uh, USC's SID Tim Tesla takes me down there and knock on the door and there's like nine guys in the officials room including what looked like uh, the, the head honchos who had come in for the game uh, were all in there and they had a the look of like trapped ferrets or something you know they had this this look like and, and you saw the look at the end of the game, for example. They knew whatever they did, for example, on the one second or not one second, timeout or not, they were screwed. Whichever way, someone was going to be really mad at them. They knew they didn't know what to call. They knew um, and he would, the referee would not answer the question that I asked him when I said, what did you talk about when you huddled up after you had given, oh, yes, uh, the replay said the game's over, we're going into overtime, and Lane came out and talked to you, told you about his, his prior calling of the timeout, told you about what the side judge had told him and said, you know, you will have a timeout if his knee was down and there's, and there's time left on the clock, you will get a timeout, you will get a last play. They had already decided USC wasn't getting that last play. They're going to overtime. They did not want to decide the game right there. Then they knew, okay, whichever way we decide this, we're really in trouble. And they decided, as I guess politicians do, and you don't get to be a, a big-time college football official and get to do these nice jobs and get paid a lot of money to, you know, for a weekend going to big-time football games if you're not a politician. And they decided, okay, someone's going to get screwed here. Who do we screw? And they decided – who does ESPN want? Who does uh, BCS want? Who does the Pac-12 want? You know, Stanford doesn't get to go to the uh, BCS. That can cost the Pac-12 millions and millions of dollars. I mean, we're talking, you know, $17 million or whatever. So uh, maybe not a hard call for them at, the, at that point, but they knew they weren't probably uh, doing the absolutely right thing, but they just they knew they were, they were in trouble. And, and they, if you're going to make a decision – some of the other calls, for example, some of those guys just aren't very good. The thing about being down on the field that long at the end of the game is you really observe them up close. You see, for example, plays that go out of bounds where they don't blow their whistle and then throw a flag because there's a late hit because, you know, no one blew a whistle, and it happens right in front of you. You see guys out of position. You see <clears throat> face masks coming right at an official who can't throw his flag, so somebody from the side has to throw it because he doesn't have – what it took to, you know, to make the call. You see, uh, you see a lot of, you see the guy that, you know, when, uh, when the Stanford uh, running back's knee is clearly down like four yards in front of the official who should have called it. And of course he's looking up in the air and uh, has no idea, you know, and so they got to go to replay and say, yeah, it couldn't have been more obvious that the guy's knee was down and, and he wasn't looking at the right thing. Terrible. You know, that's a JV uh, high school official shouldn't make that mistake. So they don't have enough good officials. There's no question. But USC gave them some chances. TJ McDonald probably has to, you know, he's not targeting. He didn't come at the helmet. He came lower. 
uh, not his fault that the uh, receiver drops down so quickly. TJ can't be, in, you know, figuring out exactly where's that guy's body going to be when I hit him. Uh, but he probably can't leave his feet in that situation anymore. He has to figure out what can I do not to put myself and my team in that situation, even though he's not guilty of, of the thing they're necessarily saying is, is the rule is designed to stop. Marquise Lee the same way. You can be happy as heck on a touchdown and a great play, but you can't put yourself in a position where by the way you turn your head, the way you <clears throat> uh, shout out, it certainly looks like they could call you for taunting because if it looks like it, they will because they're under a lot of pressure. Uh, they obviously got a lot of things wrong. I don't think they're targeting USC, but I can see how it happened to USC uh, uh, in, in that game. And if I'm USC people, I'm not very happy. Um, okay, well, Perry wanted to, he had a follow-up with that. Um, so you, he, he wants to know about the, the protecting other Pac-12 teams, and he's, he's saying that, um, you know, there's questionable calls that seem to go against the Trojans, and, you know, because they're, they're bull eligible, is that working against them? And you said, you know, it looks like it could have been for that one call. But he also wanted to know about uh, what was the take on the Stanford field goal in the fourth quarter that looked wide, on TV, I know that the I was on the field and I couldn't see exactly, but all the fans kind of cheered because they thought they missed they missed it, and I haven't got to see the TV replay. What what was going on with that one? You know, it looked close. I mean, it looked like it was gonna it was gonna miss. It, it you know the best I could tell from replay is that it could have been in there. It was close. I mean, it was, but it did give you the impression kind of midway that that sucker has got a real chance to, you know, to miss. That's a good question. I wish I'd have probably, now I'm thinking I wish I'd have paid even, you know, more attention, but, but I, but I didn't, but, uh, uh, yeah, you know, they've missed those already this year too. I mean, uh, so, uh, you know, not necessarily in the Pac-12 yet that we've seen one, but, you know, it could happen. I don't think, it, to be honest, if you were going to try to do something in a game like that, you probably wouldn't do it on a field goal, uh, right. you know, that's not good and you call it good. I, I would think that might be, that might be a tad obvious. There were, uh, it was funny because uh, I really felt that Stanford's kicker was going to miss one of those and he hit them all. And, and same with Hadari. Hadari hit them right. all. You yeah, hit the, the Stanford's kicker didn't give you any confidence at all. I mean, that one, he, uh, that line drive, he yeah. hit through there. I mean, at the end of it, you know, the last one, I mean, uh, that he kicked, uh, he, yeah, and, and, and the thing that was interesting is the USC crowd was so into the game. I mean, I can remember being at LSU, for example, or places like that where the crowd like picked up instantaneously on a play. You know, like the ball just left left the guy's foot, and they're already screaming because they know it's a shank or whatever. That was the USC crowd Saturday night. I mean, they were on everything. It was obvious how into the game they were. So uh, they got on that kick right away, and they thought it had a chance to miss, and they weren't wrong. It had a chance to miss. But uh, that was, that was honestly, that was an SEC-caliber, big, big, big game crowd. And I've gotten calls from people around the country who have told me the same thing, that they were just hooked, you know, watching the end of the game, and, and, and the Coliseum was just, I don't know that I've seen the Coliseum ever look better for a college football game. I mean, I thought that was one of the best recruiting, uh, you know, opportunities for USC, uh, you know, in history. I mean, if you're a kid watching a game, how much better to play 
at USC, and if you're mat- even if you're matching up to two schools, you think, well, do I want to go to be at a game where there's 45,000, if we're lucky, you know, clicking <laughs> their wine glasses and going, you know, way to, you know, way to go, boys, or uh, or that crowd. I mean, that was uh, that was something, and uh, and I think it was really noticed by uh, by a lot of people. So yeah, that that cr- I mean, I don't remember it being. It might have been fuller before, but I don't remember it being that loud and that into it. Um, it was pretty good. And we got one more, Dan, on the officiating. Um, so it's please, please, please make sure you address the misspotted ball in the second overtime on this week's yeah. podcast. I really need an explanation of how a 10-yard holding penalty committed by Stanford at the 20-yard line puts the ball at the USC 22. I'm a math teacher, and I think most of my 7th graders could tell you with a fair degree of certainty that the difference between 20 and 22 is not 10. Wishing that fight on didn't mean, didn't mean that we had to constantly uh, having to fight through poor officiating week after week. Jeff in Fountain Valley with a shout-out to Talbert uh, Middle School. So shout-out to Talbert Middle School. Yeah, it's beyond – I mean, I think essentially all of the crew should not – they should at least be sat down for one game. I mean, it was an unconscionable, mis- unconscionable mistake. I mean, I'll tell you this. And you watch the replay, Michael Badlin, the, the referee, says, uh, you know, 10-yard holding penalty from the spot of the foul. And then the idiots marked it off from the spot where the play ended. Unbelievable. It's a, they make it a 2-yard penalty instead of a 10-yard penalty. So now it's like I'm on the sideline opposite. And I'm running up and down. People will think I'm crazy. And I'm saying, wait a minute. They just hit a 10-yard penalty, and it's second and eight? Second and seven. I'm sorry. Second and seven. They they won an eight-yard play, and they get a first down. I said, wait a minute. They just got penalized 10 yards. They gain eight. They get a first down? Who's not paying attention to this? This is where I think we want to criticize timeouts. Lane's got – he ends up the game with six timeouts. If you don't count the one that they didn't give him at the end of the game, he ended up with three there, and you get an extra timeout for each uh, overtime. USC ends the game with six timeouts. Lane knew the ball had been misspotted. He's out on the field telling him. That's when you use a timeout, and you, you say, timeout, and you use another one if you need to, and you say, timeout, we're not proceeding till you get the ball spotted correctly. That was a giant mistake. That has to be rectified right there, right at the time. They've got the ball. You're not screwing yourself when you call timeouts or messing up your momentum or anything. You have to put the ball back to the 30-yard line, not the 22-yard line. USC deserves a major uh, uh, you know, uh, letter of uh, you know, apology from the Pac-12, from Larry Scott, from uh, – you know, Mike Perara from Tony Carreni from Michael Batlin. And I think Michael Batlin and his crew should absolutely be sat down for a week and not given a game uh, one of the you know, next weeks or the rest of the season because that's an unconscionable mistake. Just unconscionable. Can't uh, what, do that. You, I mean, high school crews can't do that. In this game, the game, biggest game of the day in college football, unconscionable. Um, well, you mentioned the timeouts, too, and Lynn from San Pedro wanted to know why Lane Kiffin didn't use one of his th- three timeouts towards the end of regulation when Stanford was deep in USC territory and threatening the score. Love the show and listen to it every week. 
Well, Lane told us that I asked him a question yesterday. He said because they needed seven points, uh, he said if they only needed three and they were pretty sure they could have kicked a field goal, but if they needed seven, wasn't going to do it. Uh, you know, I, I, I asked him a couple of times uh, a, a different version of that question. Schematically, why would you come out and play soft and let them, you know, throw the ball in front of you and let them keep dinking and dunking and dinking and dunking and taking, you know, three minutes to get down the field and score. Why not blitz every time? Why not blitz 11 guys? Why not do anything and take a chance? Knock the ball loose. Get an interception. You know, whatever. And you, and you say, well, they might throw a long ball and score. Well, good. Then you've got three minutes left or two minutes left for the, you to score. But they gave them a chance to use up all the clock. USC's clock management has to get better. Their sideline discipline has to get better. That has to be one of the things that comes out of this game. If for two years it goes down to the wire, for two years USC doesn't get it right at the end, and for two years USC gets screwed at the end. The unbelievable thing is at Stanford last year, the Palo Alto clock operator in all his you know, red and white Stanford gear and pom-poms and cheerleaders outfit and all that, okay, he's going to do what he's going to do. But Saturday, the USC clock operator screwed him and ran, you know, ran time off the clock on that uh, incompleted pass where the officials said, well, put it back to 19 seconds, and the guy had run it down to 12 or 14, he didn't know which. And it should have been 20 seconds. Yeah, like a second didn't matter then. But how can USC get screwed at Stanford and at the Coliseum? By the clock operators, two years in a row. Unbelievable. But that's, that's the case. But, yeah, USC should have been at the end. I think they should have challenged Stanford, tried to take away uh, – tried to take the ball away, basically. And if they didn't, Stanford would have scored more quickly. That would have been fine. You know, USC would have had two minutes left with the ball. You think they wouldn't have scored? You know, I think that was a giant mistake. I think that's the, the problem Lane's got – being the combo play caller, looking at his play sheets, and the head coach. He's got to figure out a way so that he can be the head coach and the, strat- and the overall strategist uh, and not uh, thinking about the next play. It, it hurt him on the uh, complaining about the, uh, uh, the misspotted ball. It hurts him on a lot of things. He's got to become the head coach, and that, that's got to come out of this game, that, you know, you're the head coach. Um, okay, well, let's see. We've got a couple more things to get to. Kevin in uh, Lithuania, Lithonia, Georgia says, uh, he's commenting on something we talked about last week. Robert Woods is actually saying, feed me. Keep feeding me the football. Got to get you guys up to date on the latest urban lingo. So that thanks, Kevin, for that one. So we were, we were kind of talking. <laughs> Do you remember that one, Dan? I think, we said, I think we guessed that, but we didn't know for sure. Yeah. I think that was my guess, but, uh, but uh, yeah, not, not for sure. My answer to that would be, Stop feeding Robert. No more punt returns. No more kickoff returns. All you have to do is watch Robert block. I mean, he had the one, uh, the first uh, uh, Curtis McNeil touchdown run. He had two blocks. He knocked two guys down. I mean, he he absolutely crushed one guy at the point of attack and got up and, and attacked another guy. It's unbelievable. He's uh, but uh, he he just can't be. Uh, it says USC's got to stop feeding him. Uh, uh, punt returns uh, and uh, and kickoff returns. I think they've got to figure out a way uh, 
as, as, as wonderful as a player as Robert is and as much as he's willing to do. I mean, you don't want to go into the Stanford game with Robert Wood 75% not able to practice much during the week. Uh, so I think they've got to figure that out, and you can't wear him down like you did last year. They've got to figure out a way to, uh, cut, to get, put him on a little bit of a diet, I think, at this point. Okay, so not... But thanks for the help. <laughs> diet, yes. Okay, thanks, Kevin, for that one. Thanks for the Georgia. Yes, thank you, guys. And then uh, we had some questions. We had a bunch of recruiting questions. We're not going to get to Gerard this week since there was so much team stuff, but there's one that... I'll, I'll try to address them real quick, but there was one um, about Dylan Baxter, and, and USC did release the, the depth chart. Dylan Baxter's not on anymore. He's still on the roster, um, but he thinks... Uh, Mark wants to know, do you think upcoming scholarship limitations has anything to do with the issues that are surrounding Baxter right now? I don't think so at all. No, I think it's more of a, a dependability. Did they feel comfortable, you know, with Robert or with Dylan's commitment to, uh, you know, an ability to fit into the football program, which I think has changed. I think with the Kennedy Palomalu, you know, coming in uh, as the backfield coach and all that, there was just a, a failure to mesh in, in almost every way. And the things that they were willing, I think, to trust Dylan as a freshman, they weren't willing to trust him uh, this year. They weren't going to spend some, as much time on the on the backs cat, the wildcat, and the things that they could have used Dylan for. Let's face it, who else would you want, you know, holding the ball and running a pass, you know, run option if you're going for a two point, you know, two point extra point than Dylan Baxter? They never got around to doing that. They never could pull the trigger on on incorporating Dylan for, you know, reasons that we may not completely understand, but have a sense of uh, just that, that they're not sure. Uh, and they were looking for him to, you know, to demonstrate, you know, a commitment. I think Dylan was looking for them to demonstrate a commitment to him. And the problem is in those situations, you know, the team usually uh, comes out ahead on those. And uh, that's where you, you need to figure out where you exactly fit in and what they need you to do and how they need you to do it. And that never happened, unfortunately. And it's a shame. And I, have I totally given up 100%? Absolutely that that couldn't happen. I don't know that I have, but it would be a long shot, I guess, at this point. But, uh, but you know, I don't think scholarship limitations um, factor in unless it's a, it's a case of, They've absolutely positively decided that he can't fit in. And in that case, you don't want to, you know, invest the scholarship in anybody going forward uh, who absolutely you think does not fit in. Okay. And then uh, last couple of things. We had some, I'll just touch on these recruiting questions. Jim in Huntington Beach actually called in about recruits that were at Notre Dame. Uh, Miguel wanted to know about recruits at the Stanford game. Um, Casey about the the atmosphere of the Stanford game and uh, Gerard's been answering a lot of those unofficial visitors from from Evan so a bunch of people had questions and stuff about um, the recruits I think just in general at Notre Dame obviously that win I think it helps a lot of the the recruits that were looking at USC and Notre Dame I don't think I mean I don't think anything came away negative uh, from that game it you know it was a big win you know probably Lane Kiffin's biggest win at USC so uh, I think that certainly helped there and I think like Dan mentioned the atmosphere at the Coliseum. There was a ton of recruits there. And Gerard, there's a, this really awesome AT&T U-verse, super, yeah. super high-def photo that's like a 5 million megapixel. I don't know what it is. It's huge. But you can go through yeah. and see detail of everybody in every seat. And I'm in the, actually one of the end zones kind of cut in half because I think they take it over time. So I'm standing, and then my 
my body's filming and like a couple inches over, but Gerard went through and, and saw some of the recruits and where their families were sitting and what they were wearing. And uh, big guys like Ellis McCarthy, uh, the big defensive tackle from Monrovia, Kevon Seymour, who's a, one of the you know top defensive backs out there. A bunch of guys like that have all been in there. And Gerard's talking about them all in the peristyle. But that atmosphere, Dan, I think that's what – it might have hurt USC with certain recruits because if you had 65, 70,000 people and, and a lot of them left in the third quarter because the game wasn't close or it was kind of boring, that didn't happen on Saturday. That was – Pure excitement, yeah, I mean, especially the beginning is, of the second I half. I mean, back-to-back yeah. showcases of the best you could possibly ask for. I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything more than that Notre Dame and have those kids there. You couldn't have asked for any more because what also it said, you know, Saturday night was this is a young team on the ride, on the come, and yet they could use some help. So it's like both. It's not like a team where, where do I play? Who would I, you know, it's it's got – I thought it had every possible uh, positive uh, outreach to, to recruits. Uh, if I'm a recruit and I'm seeing uh, that crowd and that uh, excitement and I'm looking at a, a veteran team where a lot of guys are going to move on and, uh, you know, that it maybe doesn't generate necessarily that kind of excitement at, at its home games. And then I see USC and I think, huh, this is uh, this looks like a pretty good place. I, I don't know that you could have asked for two back-to-back uh, weeks uh, where you could have done as well with recruits as, as USC, uh, you know, could have done in the, in the Notre Dame uh, uh, Stanford games. All right. Well, yeah, it's, it's good stuff, and definitely check out the Peristyle. Gerard's been answering a lot of questions. I think there's a Kevon Seymour piece up as well. Um, he talked to him about what was going on after the game. So. Um, check all that out. We'll get Gerard on again in a future show. And a uh, short week this week, Dan. Two days of practice, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we're uh, yep. off to... Uh, I, I mean, and, and, and this is the, this is the, the challenge. Uh, and, and originally, they wanted this to be a Thursday game, if you can believe it. At least USC balked at that. Uh, but they wanted it a Thursday game because they wanted to give Colorado, you know, a little bit of a new member, Colorado, a little bit of a showcase. And you know, they, they had a back and forth. They had a you know scheduling problems. Colorado did, and all kinds of issues. And so here's USC after playing you know, Cal on the road in the middle of the week, Notre Dame on the road, Stanford at home. They got to hustle and get to a you know possible blizzard site uh, for Friday. So they can't turn this in. They don't have to go to Corvallis this year, but they can't let Boulder become Corvallis. It cannot do that. This is so important. This game is almost as important as the, the last three. And that has to, you know, they have to go in there and take them out. And uh, this is really a big, big, big game in a short week. And, uh, and I don't know the last time USC's won a really bad weather game. I guess it was Washington State. Yeah, I guess it was Washington State when Reggie Bush was like a sophomore probably. Uh, when it rained, snowed, sleeted, and hailed in the, um, you know, 15 minutes before this kickoff, uh, and Pete snookered him into how much fun you're going to have playing in sleet, snow, ice, and hail, you know. And they all thought they were, you know, and actually they did. But I think that might be the last time USC's ever won a game. Uh, and it hasn't happened that often when they get caught in one of these really bad weather situations. So, uh I uh, hope they sell it to them as a challenge, you know, to see what you're made of, to go up there and play in a in a in conditions, however they might be, and and tell them how much fun that's going to be. All right. Well, we'll see. USC's going. <laughs> I think it's a 21 and a half point favorite. 
Um, yeah. You can't, you can't let that. That's happened. Now, what, what do I remember there? Huh? <laughs> That's like half of that uh, 2007 game. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Dan, thanks again for all the uh, insights there and uh, great stuff. And we'll talk to you again next week and see what happens when USC goes to Boulder. That'll be fun. It'll be interesting. And, uh, yeah, Friday night, uh, you know, don't miss it. All right. Well, thanks, everyone else, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday. We're working out the time for the show for our live Ustream show, so check that out on uscfootball.com. We'll come at you live from McKay's. We might do this one in the evening, so definitely check out the site, and we'll, we'll post the schedule up there of when we're going to do the show. And uh, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 